Hello, and welcome to this episode of Vogue Business's Beauty Radar, a no nonsense podcast unpacking the most pressing beauty topics today, presented by City Commercial Bank. I'm your host, Katie Chitrakorn, and today we'll unpack luxury's evolving relationship with beauty. The luxury beauty battleground is really heating up. We've seen luxury houses like Chanel and Armani who have long sold beauty, but many more are entering the fray with a new focus on skincare and makeup. Expanding into beauty can be a way for brands to complete their vision, but it's not easy getting it right. There's also the question of whether brands should take beauty back in-house or work with a licensee. Joining me to unpack these shifts is Dolce & Gabbana's operating CEO of beauty, Gianluca Tuniolo. Hi Gianluca, welcome to the show. Hi, hi Katie. How are you doing? Good? I'm good. How are you? I'm perfect. Today is a wonderful day, sunny in Italy, so it's warm. Or it seems to be in spring, not in winter or autumn. I'm very jealous. It's freezing in London. But we've come here today to talk about luxury beauty because what an exciting time in the industry. Um, so many luxury houses and fashion brands have been coming to market with new launches. And I really want to hear from you because, you know, over the past one or two years, you know, these names include like Paco Rabanne, um, Dries Van Noten, um, Hermes, Stella McCartney, Victoria Beckham, you know, and soon Balmain. These are just to name a few. They're all coming to market. You know, what would you say is behind this new wave of beauty launches? Um, you know, what do you feel has changed in the market? Well, I would say that uh, historically, uh, in the beauty in the beauty business, fifty percent of sales are driven by innovation. So it's something that I would say innovation plan belongs uh, to the beauty brand. Having uh, said that, uh, you should know that uh, uh, during the COVID period, this kind of activity was stopped. Due to, the, due, to, due to the obvious reasons. And uh, what happened is that a lot of brand uh, was obliged to, or, or took the decision to postpone, in fact, the launch, the, the innovation plan after the COVID. That's why we are facing with so many launches in the last, I would say, couple of years. And uh, the result is, uh, is exactly the result of what happened in the last uh, five years with the COVID. Having said that, I, what I can tell you more about the market, the main changes and so on in the, in the innovation plan is that today the brands have to face with a different lead time between the, when they think to the strategy or to a new innovation plan or a new launch to when they are able to go to market with the, the, the new product. Why? Because uh, during the COVID period, the supply chain activities is going down, obviously. And to recover this gap, especially in terms of uh, shortage of raw materials, components, and so on, took time. And today we are still facing with this kind of, pro of, of problem. So that means that uh, if uh, in the past uh, it took uh, we say 18 months from the inspiration when you launch to the go-to-market, to, to, to see the on-counter date of the product. Now, unfortunately, 18 months are becoming more 24 months or maybe more. So this is the major change today when we come to the innovation plan of the brand. We have to move up the decision even more in order to, to face with... Uh, the, the supply chain shortage that we are facing with. 
that's really interesting to hear, Gianluca. And I would love to go a little bit further into how Dolce Gabbana approaches things. But before we do, you know, it's worth noting that beauty despite it being new for a lot of luxury brands, it's not new for Dolce Gabbana. Of your first fragrance in 1992, Dolce Gabbana has created over 100 fragrances, you know, including bestsellers like The Light Blue and The One Sense. And in 2009, the brand expanded into makeup and you now sell lipsticks and blushes. And you recently joined Dolce Gabbana Beauty as operating CEO a little bit about the journey that led you there? First of all, uh, I'm Italian. Dolce Gabbana is an Italian brand. So for an Italian manager, I would say I would add expert in beauty because I spent the last, I mean, 25 years of my career, professional career in beauty, having seeing a different uh, giant corporation like L'Oreal, like uh, Kering, like LVMH. Uh, my last experience. So for me, for an Italian manager, is an opportunity, is a unique opportunity to have uh, the possibility to take the helm of this new adventure for for this amazing brand and uh, try to create something from scratch. Because it's true what you you are saying. So that uh, like blue existing since uh, uh, twenty years, uh, we have a, a catalog. But when you have to build up a a new company from scratch. So that means that uh, you have to put uh, your experience at uh, 360 degrees from uh, production to commercial to distribution to innovation and creativity. So what inspired me and uh, what made me happy with this decision was uh, maybe probably we c- I can tell you that it's more about a human adventure before being a professional adventure and uh, find a way to, to pull together more than 300 talents from all over the world in a new building in Milano is something that would happen maybe once in your professional life, maybe twice, but not more. And doing that for this amazing brand uh, and uh, having also the opportunity to work directly with Mr. Stefano Gabbana and Mr. Domenico Dolce is a unique opportunity for an Italian uh, beauty expert. I would say. Yes, absolutely. And you've certainly gone about it in an unconventional way, if I may say. At the beginning of the year, Dolce Gabbana um, entered a new phase, if you like. You know, historically, Shiseido, as many of us might know, um, manufactured and sold Dolce Gabbana perfume and makeup. And that, that happened since 2016. But in 2023, so the beginning of this year, um, Dolce Gabbana took back full control of its beauty business and now handles 100% of the manufacturing, sales and distribution. And that's something you and I have talked about in the past. But he talk about the shift you know why did it make sense for the business first of all Dolce Gabbana uh, managed the beauty category with with a business license model and normally when you are in license uh, the partner makes some choices that squeeze more the brand okay commercially wise when, uh, why makes sense to bring it out? Because when you bring in out the, 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 the category, basically what we want to do is to make a brand building exercise. So to elevate the beauty category of Dolce Gabbana at the same level of the other categories of the brands. The second is uh, uh, about uh, uh, a typical 
situation for the beauty. The beauty is an entry category and could represent the, the, the entry category for a lot of customers, a major number of customers into the brand. Thanks to the beauty, thanks to a lipstick, thanks to a fragrance, a lot of people can get in touch first with the brand. Could be the first step for them to get in touch with the brand. And so strategically wise for a brand to control uh, the beauty is uh, an opportunity to, to work the beauty product with the same codes and DNA of the brands and uh, immediately create a connection with uh, a new customer. Third reason why it makes sense to control and to bring it out, because for sure, being in terms of price point uh, and entry category, uh, the beauty allow the brand uh, to get in touch uh, and to reconnect, I would say, with the younger generation. And, uh, and this is uh, an important tool for growing in the future for the brand because the younger generation today could of the beauty could represent uh, the customer of the fashion tomorrow. So basically, these are the three reasons why it makes sense to bring in-house and to control directly the category. So like, as you say, you know, strategically, it, it incorporating beauty is a great move, but it doesn't sound like it's an easy one operationally. Um, you know, what kind of logistical adjustments did you have to make in order to take beauty back in-house? The beauty category uh, has a high level of entry barrier. And uh, you have a couple of barriers. The first one is the investment, the level of investments you have to put on the table. Because basically, being uh, Dolce Gabbana, a, a global brand, you need to have the money to invest in media, for example, uh, to push uh, your innovation plan, to push the product, uh, to get in touch with your customers. So you need to have a lot of money to invest first. Second, um, from a manufacturing point of view, it's not easy. And this is basically the main reason why we are, and this is very important, we are the first Italian fashion brand and the only Italian fashion brand that decide to bring in house and to manage directly the category. All the other are in license with L'Oreal Group, Estee Lauder, LVMH. Because uh, you need to, to face with a lot of issues, not only financial, but also uh, in manufacturing, as a manufacturing point of view. Second or third, maybe the regulatory. You know that to distribute all over the world, each country has its own specific regulatory in terms of ingredients that you can use in a product, in a fragrance. So you have to, to make the formula that fit with the different part of the world, the different regions. So the regulatory part is something that you have to manage directly and it's specific competencies. So I, I, it's not easy to recruit. And last but not least, uh, when you start from scratch to collect people in different departments and to bring these people in Milano, in Italy, because basically the beauty brands are located uh, in France, so it's easier to make this kind of exercise in France compared to Italy where we don't have a brand beauty uh, history. We are the first. So to bring talent from all over the world in Milano, to convince them 
to enter in this new challenge because it's a new challenge. Uh, it, uh, it, it was one of the major uh, issues I faced with together with uh, uh, the company. Now we are more than happy and more than proud to share that in Milano, in our new home, the home of beauty for Dolce Gabbana, we have 130 people working in different departments. Uh, these people um, are coming from uh, 32 countries all over the world, speaking 27 languages. So we create a global environment in order to be able to, to make it happen in terms of strategy, a global strategy, innovation plan and distribution. That sounds simultaneously incredible and also such a huge undertaking. Are you, you, you mentioned briefly that manufacturing was one of the logistical challenges that you've had to navigate. And at the beginning of our conversation, you also talked a little bit about the supply chain. Um, can you expand a little bit more on how have you navigated having to innovate so far like much earlier, like requiring much longer lead times than before. I remember you also spoke about during the supply chain crisis, having um, issues with finding the right kind of like bottles. And how, how do you navigate that? It's very easy. It's not so easy, but it's very, at the same time, it's very easy. And um, we have a small secret. And uh, the secret is uh, trusting people, trust their competence, and that means that we cut the lead time. We succeeded in cutting the lead time in manufacturing, for example, because we took so many decisions without having tested a lot of things. I can tell you that the last launch in female fragrance that we are playing today in the market, Devotion. Devotion was born after a, a lunch where during this lunch, Olivier Cresp discovered the Italian panettone. It's a typical Italian uh, Christmas cake. And uh, together with Olivier, we decided, and we, for sure, with Stefano Gabbano and Domenico Dolce, we decided to play uh, with this innovation without testing this innovation. Uh, because sometimes you need to test in North America, in some part of the world, to be sure that the fragrance is something very appreciated by the market. We don't want to be commercial. We want to be original. This is our mantra, because being original and pioneer is a mantra, is, a, is part of the DNA of our brand. And if you, if, when you decide not testing the, the, the product, you can cut the timing. So, how we manage all these issues we, we faced during these, the last 24 months. In a world is trusting. We trust in ourselves, we trust in our competencies, we trust in our attitude. And uh, in this way, you can cut the lead time and being able, like we did, to launch as per the first year, I would say as per the first 11 months of Dolce & Gabbana Beauty Life, Two major innovations. One was Summer Vibes within the light blue lineup. And the second is Devotion that is becoming a worldwide blockbuster. So this is the secret. It is. And I can attest it is a beautiful product. Um, you know, we last met when you came to London for the launch of Devotion. But is that a bit risky to kind of not 
tests or to just kind of go with your gut feeling? Look, it depends. Uh, yes, for sure, it's uh, you, you take uh, some more risks on one end. On another end, when you test something during the focus or the focus group or uh, the text activities, you risk. You have another risk to lose the originality of the fragments because the customer at the end tend to reduce or, or, or I would say tend to not appreciate so much what they don't know. What their nose uh, never, never um, met in the past. And in this, in this case, uh, and this could create a reduction into the originality of your decision. So on one end, yes, it's risky, but on another end, you risk not being too innovative if you test too much. And as for the time being, the results are really amazing, uh, even above our expectations. So I will say that we took the right decision. That's great. Congratulations. I'd also love to hear um, a bit about how you're thinking about retail because, you know, as we know, the distribution channels for fashion are not the same as they are in beauty. Um, you know, you might agree that a majority of luxury houses sell their ready-to-wear via their own boutiques, you know, via their own stores. But most beauty products, even the most premium ones, tend to be sold in specialist or multi-brand retailers like, you know, Harrods, for example, or Sephora. Um, how do you think about that? And how do you make sure that you stand out? when you're alongside so many other brands and products? Today, uh, mm, the, the innovation plan is not only about the product. The innovation plan is uh, a 360 degrees activities. And the point of sales is becoming uh, even more uh, important because you should know that around between 40 and 50% of the people decide what to buy after being within the store. That means that the decision uh, is uh, when you are in the store, getting in touch with the brand, with the innovation, with the people again. So uh, how to stand out is, uh, is, is not easy because uh, we are in, in a very competitive environment. But for sure, first, we have uh, we decided to put in place uh, a great trade marketing activation uh, animation plan. That means that when we are in a store, our products are always supported by a lot of materials. Material means vials, uh, gifts, but also a great storytelling behind our product that the BA is the beauty advisor should know in order to be the first ambassadors of our brand. So when a customer gets in touch with the brand, with the product, with devotion, for example, our beauty ambassador are able to explain when it was born and how it was born. This is something unique because Dolce & Gabbana has a unique DNA. And when the customer gets in touch with the DNA of the brand, it's easier to sell something compared to our competition. This is the first, uh, the first rule. The second is, uh, uh, of course, uh, the, the media. 
when we come to the investments, uh, the investments are not only into the point of sales. Uh, you have to drive people to the stores. And this is uh, something that uh, we are quite good in doing because of two major assets. The first one is the enormous capability of Stefano Gabbana and Domenico Dolce to be creative also into the communication asset first. And people immediately recognize the product, the music, uh, the images they have found, when they, for example, in television or into uh, our social network on digital. And second, our capability to make statements into the point of sales. Uh, with the launches, we, we honestly, I can tell you that we did uh, a, a very high number of podium or pop-up or temporary exhibition of the brand. And I'm speaking about 20, 30, up to 60 square meters, for example, in Dubai Star Atrium today. There is a, an amazing representation of devotion where the brand is standing out and the beauty category for sure will be and is recognized by by the people. The other big kind of industry shakeup that I really want to talk to you about is um, a lot of the larger conglomerates are pivoting. So in September, Richemont formed a new beauty division. They appointed a new CEO. You know, it's all part of their plans to scale fragrance. Caring also this year launched a new beauty entity. You know, they made headlines in the summer, I'm sure you saw, for acquiring Creed. And then, of course, as LVMH, they've been reshuffling their beauty leadership team. I'm curious to hear your personal perspective on, um, you know, what kind of impact this might have on the wider market. How do you feel about all these movements? This kind of uh, situation is going to, to create a more concentrated market for sure, because the giant corporation uh, so far are controlling the major part of the brands and uh, they are going to control even more thanks to the acquisition and so on, for sure. But there is the reality. And the reality is that for the customer, for the end customer, the, the end customer, this group, the customer don't mind this group. Probably the customer don't rec uh, doesn't recognize LVMH because LVMH is a group. The customer recognizes the brand. So the real secret is uh, to me that at the end of the day, the brand will stand out and not the group. This could give to these giant corporations, corporations some advantages in terms of negotiation, for example, negotiation of space and location with the landlords all over the world. And this kind of, uh, this kind of move would help them to gain, I would say, the best location within a mall, for sure, because the power of negotiation is bigger. But when we come to the retailer, at the opposite, they recognize the power of the brand and they want to deal with brand by brand because the real added value is coming from the brand, not from the group, because when you, your sales are driven by the brand. So to me, what is going to happen? That uh, there will not be someone that win or lose, definitely. But uh, the one who will be able to protect the brand and speak the brand language rather than to speak the group language will win. That's why we think Dolce & Gabbana being a brand and standing out 
as a brand. This is the only important message that we want to convey to the customer. And we think that the customer recognizes the authenticity and the DNA of the brand. It's not going to recognize a DNA of a group because major of this group you mentioned was are, sorry, financial groups. That makes a lot of sense. So what can we expect from Dolce & Gabbana Beauty in the coming year or years? You know, any particular areas of innovation or new launches you can kind of tease or share with us now? The beauty customer today, more than yesterday, are looking for experience. They don't want only to get in touch with the product. They want to know more about how this product was born, how this product is digitally native or not. What about the 360 plan around this product? So in terms of experience, when we welcome our customer, for example, into our fashion boutique, because you should know that we are the only brand that in our fashion, in the top fashion boutique all over the world, is dedicating between 20 and 30 square meters, the beauty only to the beauty category. And this is not about financial, because we know that in order to have the perfect ROI in a fashion store, you should not sell fragrances, but probably you should sell bags or something different. But the idea of Stefano and Domenico, the idea is we want to be a lifestyle brand. And the beauty category is like an accessory. It's probably the last accessory that a woman or a man want to wear before going to a party or before going to, you know, to the work and so on. So we think that if we are able to deliver the right experience for our customer, the customer will be captured by this kind of approach. It's, uh, it's not a product, it's an attitude. Is something that uh, uh, lasts in the mind of our customers. So today, the magic word is experience. So kind of given that, um, do you see yourself opening more stores next year? Or do you see the storytelling expanding into new product categories? What are your main focuses? Mm, a lot of things, for sure. A lot of things. But mm, first, Italianity. Italianity should say, uh, should be our mantra in the future. We are an Italian brand. We want to, to gift all the beauty lovers all over the world of a piece of Italy. And in all the innovation plan in the future, for sure, our customer will find a piece of Italy in our creation. This is the first. The second. This brand in the past uh, has been always recognized as a monoaxis brand. Yes, we had uh, both fragrances and makeup, but uh, we were not recognized like a hard seller of makeup. And definitely in the future, we will become a two-axis brand at least. That means being strong in fragrances, but also in makeup. Dolce & Gabbana, in its own DNA, is joyful, is colorful. So there is no reason why we are not able to sell properly and to put this DNA in beauty in makeup products. That is, by definition, color. So 
in terms of our strategy, we will become a two-axis brand. For sure, we are going to add uh, also a part of skincare because uh, in some part of the world, like Asia Pacific, this category is strong. And if you want, again, to get in touch with the customer, you should have something that allows the brand uh, to get in touch with the customer. But again, when we come to the skincare, uh, we will not uh, sell anti-aging products because people are not looking for anti-aging products into a fashion brand. A fashion brand doesn't have the legitimacy, the legitimacy to to do something that uh, is more is more recognized like a, a technical or research and development. So, but we are we have in Italy so many ingredients, for example, in Mediterranean Sea, that are able to deliver some benefits for your skin. So again, probably we will position our skincare lineup more like a lifestyle skincare lineup, and not definitely an anti-aging. So. We think that in our future, the brand has uh, so many uh, directions for growing that can come from the new lineup of product, the new lineup of axes, but also of, uh, by attacking a lot of countries that in the past were not properly managed uh, because of many reasons. So we have uh, a lot of room ahead of us in terms of growing. There's lots to look forward to. Well, that is all the time that we have for today. Um, Gianluca, it's been so great chatting with you. Um, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sir. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on this podcast, you might like to become a Vogue Business member. It's your ticket to a global perspective on fashion and beauty, delivering exclusive insights that will give you the edge in this competitive dynamic industry. Visit VogueBusiness.com today and use the code PODCAST20 to save 20% on the usual membership rate. This has been Vogue Business's Beauty Radar Podcast, presented by City Commercial Bank. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.